giving is a condition of the heart. And I think why we give is, you know, is because of what God's given us. I mean, I believe, you know, that I believe fully that everything we've been given is God's. I mean, it's not like I'll give a little bit to God, but everything else is mine. It's all God's. And so giving is what we do. It's who we are. It's, it's who we are as people. I love worshiping God with my heart and just like expressing my heart to Him. But a way, a massive way of doing that is the resources He's given me. And you think about, man, I want to worship Jesus. Well, then it's not just coming and singing. It's taking care of His people. It's taking care of His creation. It's taking care of His world. What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. This is not just about, this is something you should do, a commandment of God. This is, this is a heart position. You know, the scripture said, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we're, when we say we worship God, okay, where's our treasure? Where's our resources really going? Are those going into the kingdom of God? When we say we worship God, where is our treasure? Where are our resources really going? Are those really going to the kingdom of God? My first time I watched this video, I gotta tell you that, that quote hit me, you know, because it challenged me to ask that question again. Uh, and Jody and I have been faithful in our giving from, well, before we were married, when, you know, grew up with, with all of that. But, but it's a question worth, worth asking. And so um, I think the key issue, we're going to, for the next several weeks, kind of be talking about our resources, um, but the key issue in this is, is this. Giving is an act of worship. Ooh, that's good. For a sermon on money, to get amens is good. I've also noticed that when you preach on money, you get fewer amens. I'm not quite sure why that is, but you do. But giving is an act of worship. The idea of giving back to God isn't about your finances. It's not about supporting the church. It's about worshiping the living God. In fact, you will often hear, if I'm the one that kind of introduces the offering time back when we passed plates before COVID, I would say, we're going to worship the Lord in giving. And there's a real theological reason for that, because I believe that giving back to God is an act of worship. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to spend some time today and then in the next couple Sundays kind of talking with this, because ultimately... What you do with what God has given you is a spiritual issue. It's something that matters for eternity. And you all didn't come to listen to me speak about personal finances. That would not be a good use of your time, okay? In my family, my wife handles all the money. I just sign my check over and, and that's it. I got a house over my head. I get a car to drive and a little money in my pocket. Life is good, you know? So you don't want to listen to me about personal finances, and even when it comes to the finances of this church, we have a financial team that's made up of people who are gifted and qualified and understand all that stuff, and, and they handle all of that. In fact, in our, our tradition, I stay completely out of the money. Uh, my name's not on any of the accounts. I can't sign checks. I don't, I don't even, it even makes me uncomfortable. Sometimes you guys will miss the offering and say, Pastor, would you put this in? And, and just, that just makes me, you know, put it in the box. <laughs> I, I stay out, out of all this. But, but the one thing that I can, maybe can speak to you about is things spiritual, things biblical, 
And so I, I want to talk about this for a while together. And if, and if I can just kind of give you kind of a pastoral observation, and I've been a pastor for a long time, I, I think money is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to people's spiritual lives. It tends to be the thing they hold back from God. And I'm telling you, when you hold back from God, that is not going to go well spiritually. And so I think this is important. We, we struggle when we do that. And so let me, let me just say this. God doesn't have your heart until he has your money. He doesn't have your heart. He doesn't have everything until he has your money. For some reason, especially for men, men, look at me for a minute, okay? Especially for us, we tend to think that we can give God our heart and withhold our money. That somehow that would work out well in our relationship with God. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you don't even have to think about spiritual things. Just, just think about the world we live in. That doesn't work. So, so imagine just in the relational world, you know, uh, how, how many of you are married? How many, how many married guys? Yeah, yeah, most of you. So, uh, so you all remember when you asked her to marry you, you know? It was this wonderful, romantic moment, you know. Maybe you got down. How many of you got down on your knee? Anybody get down on your knee? That's kind of thing. Oh, yeah, we got some down on the knee kind of thing, you know. And you, you, you had that diamond, and, and, and you know, you, you look at her, and she's doing, you know, or something like that. I don't know. And, she, and, and, and you say, you know, I love you so much, and you're so beautiful, and I, I think we're a great match, and I want to spend our life together and, and, and until death do us part. And then there's a pause, and you say, but you're going to have to support yourself because my money is my money. And I'm not giving you any of my hard-earned money. Oh, and the kids. You're going to need to support the kids and provide the groceries and take care of all of that. And, and you need to take care of me as well. You've got to cook and clean and those kinds of things. And, and by the way, if I get in trouble financially, I expect you to bail me out. What do you say, babe? You want to live with me for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's probably not going to go very well. But that's kind of the arrangement sometimes people have with God. You know, God, I love you, and I want to sing songs, and it's so wonderful, and I have this emotional experience, you know, and I want to serve you and follow you all of my life, but don't mess with my money. Okay. You know, and, and by, by the way, you know, you, you need to take care of all this other stuff out there. Someone else can turn the lights on in the church and build the buildings and take care of all of it. You know, you got, you, you got the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills, so you can take care of that. It, it's just, you, you just take care of all that. But by the way, if, if I lose my job and I get in trouble financially, then we're going to have a talk. And honestly, people were kind of like that. All the time I bump into this where people don't want to let God have control of their money, but when they get in trouble, who do they turn to? God, please rescue me now. You know, I'm in trouble. I need a job. I need a paycheck. I need uh, whatever it is. And I think it's because of that that Jesus talked about money so much. He talked about it a lot. Because ultimately, it's a spiritual issue. And I believe that, you, that spirituality is the ground of all being, to use a fancy theological term you'll learn in seminary. Anyone ever heard that expression before? Oh, good, because you really don't need to know that. But, but, it, but, but everything else grows out of the spiritual realm, right? So, so when we get the spiritual right, then it's much easier to get all the rest of it right, including our, our financial part of it is. And the truth of this is this. You can't be selfish and be a follower of Jesus. That is not the example of Jesus. Jesus was the most selfless, self-giving person that ever walked the face of the 
earth. And honestly, I don't think you can claim to be mature spiritually unless you're generous. Because Jesus was generous in all kinds of ways. So this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, uh, whether you have a physical Bible or online or however you want to do that. Um, and, and 19 through 21, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, which you're all familiar with. Uh, and, and he's kind of been talking about self-sacrifice, and, and he comes down to this, and he begins to, to talk about, about money and possessions and, and wealth, which was a little bit different in their society. They didn't have as much of a kind of cash-based uh, society as we have. So there's a little bit of explanation here. But let, let's jump in. It says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, where should we store them up? Okay. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, there's a couple things going on in here. Uh, moths and vermin de- destroy. So two of the, the ways you could really uh, accumulate wealth in the ancient world, one of them was through uh, expensive fabric or clothes. Most people had like one change of clothes, and that was about it, maybe two. But wealthy people would have lots of that, very expensive ones. So the moths could eat those. And where vermin destroy, another way you could store up wealth was to have grain. That was one of the things you could do. And, of course, the rats and things can get into those. Uh, so, and, of course, any kind of wealth can be, be stolen. So, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you do that? We'll talk about that. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love this picture of where thieves do not break in and steal for, for your treasures in heaven. So who do, who do you think is guarding God's vault? Maybe Archangel Gabriel or something with a big fiery sword? Yeah, nobody's breaking into that place. Okay. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there are a few places in Scripture where there are certain truths that I kind of find devastating. And this is one of them. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can even turn it around. For where your heart is, that's where you'll put your treasure There's something about this that says where you spend your money, where you put your resources, that tells the truth every time about your values. I've told you before, if I can look at your bank account, I can tell you what your values are. If you put it all in in this, I know that's your value. Put huge amounts of it in this, that's your value. Put it there, that's your value. So I I say, I hope you put large amounts of money into your family, right? Because it's God, family, the rest of it. But man, if you don't put money in your, in your family, I mean, we kind of joked about the, hey, I'm not going to pay my part. But the problem with that whole story about that guy that proposes but doesn't want to pay is that he may call her beautiful and he may say he loves her, but his actions don't follow up with that because his value is himself, not her. You have to be a fool to get tangled up with that for the rest of your life, okay? Even I know that. So that, that's what is where your treasure is, there, is your, there your heart will be also. Let's read this together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, it's so important uh, to remember that, that piece of it. Okay, um, so then, uh, let me get this, sorry there. Uh, so this is the issue. The issue is, who rules who? Does your treasure rule you? Or does God rule you? Who's the final authority? Do you do with your money what God's word says to do with your money, or do you do with your money what you think is best? Pretty simple, really. Is Jesus Lord of your money or not? Boy, that just kind of cuts. Is is he or not? It's not not hard. It's just, is he or not? Is he the Lord of everything you have, or he's not Lord of anything at all? 
In fact, this is, this is important for, for how we live our lives. In fact, until God has access to your money, he doesn't have access to your heart. Let me say that again. Until God has access to your money, he doesn't have access to your heart. And until we let him into our personal finances, he doesn't have that. So he goes on, okay? No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, okay? Some of you remember the word mammon in there? Because the, the Greek word actually kind of has a Greek understanding of wealth, so it's a little bit bigger. But in our culture, most of our wealth is in, in money itself, and so that's kind of why that translation is there. And the, the reason for this is because you either trust God or you trust money. You either trust God or you trust money. If, if you trust God, it's so long as the bank accounts are in good shape and everything's wondering right, you know that you can handle whatever it is. But if you trust God then you got to trust him even if the bank accounts aren't in good shape. And you realize that it's not the money that can really save you through all of that. And you can't trust both. Your final trust is in one or the other. Who do you put your trust in? God or money? Which one, when it comes right down to it, you know? And and this is why, as Americans, I think it's hard for us to get a hold of this. Because the truth of the matter is, financially, we are extraordinarily wealthy by the world standards. Everybody say amen, because that's just a fact, okay? That is just a fact. And honestly, we, we all, we live in this area here, so we're, none of us are doing real, real, real bad. I mean, some of us are doing better than others, all of that. But, but I have found for people like us, it is really easy to trust God when my bank account is full, which reveals that I'm probably not really trusting God in that moment. But there is something about this. There's something in this passage that reminds me of Joshua 24. Remember Joshua 24? Uh, he's, he's calling the people away from idols, and he says this, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will... There, there you got it. That kind of pick. And that's kind of what, what's going on here in Matthew is he's saying, you can't serve both. You need to choose one or the other. Don't let money become an idol. Who do you trust? Because when money becomes an idol, it can destroy you. Money can become an idol just, just like politics. A few weeks ago we talked about politics. Politics can become an idol if it gets between you and God. Money can become an idol if it gets between you and God. I mean, we kind of think they have no idols today. That's not true. They just look different than they did back then. Whatever comes between us and God becomes an I.O. And more than that, it endangers our, our spiritual lives, our, our relationship with God. Okay, that's the hard part of the sermon. I can see these kind of long faces and slow kind of looking out there, you know. But by the way, in case you ever forget it, I know sometimes you forget, but I can see you from up here, okay? So I know what's going on, you know. So. So you want to hear the good news in this sermon? I mean, this is the, that's the hard part. So here's the good news. When Jesus is Lord of your money, God becomes your provider and protector. That is good news. Because honestly, God is better at providing for you and protecting you than you are. And he's way better at it than your money is. I, I just, I just, I, I, you should all be standing up and dancing. 
Because I'm telling you, when God is your provider and God is your protector, who do you have to be afraid of? Who can harm you? You know, who, what? I trust God. Who do you trust in the midst of all of that? And the, the, re, the reality is, even if you put your trust in money, sooner or later, it's going to fail you. I just guarantee you. I, I discovered that when I got cancer. And I had a deadly, deadly cancer in my leg. And it didn't matter how much money was in the bank account. Only God could save me. And he did. I mean, the doctors still refer to what happened to me as a miracle. They call me the poster child down at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Why? Because God is my protector. Amen? God is my provider in all of that. He gave it through that whole process. In fact, when I was working on this sermon, I was reminded of a verse that, that uh, the older I get, the, the more I, I like it. it. It's from Psalm 37, 25. It says, I was young. Yep, I was young once. And now I am old. Hate it when truth gets like that. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Wow. This, this, this is the perspective of someone that served the Lord a long time. And they're toward the end of their life and now they're looking back over their life and they're saying, I have been faithful to God and God has been faithful to me and it is good. I've never seen God's people forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children breaking for bed. You see, heart issues, not financial issues. That's what this is about. God can provide for your family in amazing sorts of ways that you don't even begin to understand. It's safer, honestly, to trust him than it is to trust your money or your ability to raise it. You know, the truth of the matter is, you're all smart and you make money, you make money with your living, you make money with your body. God gave you all of that. Why do you think, why do you think he can provide for you? Frankly, I argued with God about whether or not I should be preaching this sermon this week. Because I said, Lord, I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we're in a recession, you know, and people are losing their jobs and it, it's really tough. And, and Lord, I, I just think this is a bad, these are planned out way in advance. I think this is a bad idea. I, I, you know, Lord, I, I'm not really comfortable with this, you know. And in my prayer time, I have a time when I talk and then I have a time when I listen, you know, when I shut up, say, okay, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Wow, that's a dangerous thing to do. And as I am listening, not audibly, but I heard the Lord say in my heart, what better time to remind people that I'm their provider? I thought, oh, that's why you're God. You're smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the part of this is trust God with your money, but the good news is when you trust God with your money, God is your provider. God cares for you and your protector. In fact, there's all kinds of stuff like this going on. If our, our Framley Facebook church, if you're uh, a part of our church and you haven't got on the Framley one, it's a closed Facebook page, but it's kind of where we're more casual with each other. The main one kind of goes out, outward and the family one's inward. I asked you guys a while back, you know, tell us stories about tithing and giving and trusting God. And, and there's, they just brought up several of them. One that didn't get up there because I told it earlier was a, a man in our church who, when this, we first started into this, uh, the pandemic and everything shut down, he owns a business. And, and, uh, and he was just kind of minding his old business, watching a sermon. It wasn't even about money. And, and the Lord said to him, I, I want you to give the church $1,000. And he's kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, have you noticed my business isn't in business anymore, really? You know? and, and, and so you know, he did what I do. Now, you guys probably never do this, but, but I do this every once in a while. I decide I'm going to negotiate with God. 
how about $500, you know? And the Lord just really spoke to him, you know? And so he kind of called me up and gave me a check, you know, and that kind of thing. And he's talking, telling me this story. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool, you know? And, and the interesting thing that happened, almost immediately his business picked up. In fact, it got going so fast that he can hardly keep up with it. I talked to him this week. He was in helping us with the thing. I said, how's it going? He said, it's still going so fast I can hardly have time to do anything. The business is just going crazy. I said, is that because things are starting to come back? Are other businesses that you're in are doing, doing better too? He said, no, they're not doing very good at all. God was his provider, and he was obedient to what God told him to do. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not a health and wealth kind of gospel guy. There's no such thing of, I give God a whole bunch of money, he's going to bless me and make me rich. That is not what it's talking about. What that story is about is obedience to the voice of God. And when we do that, he, he provides. There, there's some of you talked about faithfulness and, and tithing. Jody and I have done that since the very beginning. And we've gotten awful close. I, I, God has a knack for getting you like, oh, you think you're going to go over the cliff? And then he pulls you back. Anyone else notice that? We've been there financially. But he always provides in all of that. Um, someone in our church I talked to that had lost their job. And they're like, oh, no, we're in a pandemic, right? In the midst of all this, got laid off, you know, that sort of thing. What are we going to do? But they had always been faithful to God. This week, they said to me, you're not going to believe this. I got a new job, and it's better than the one I had before. Obedience to God, because he will provide. When you have been faithful to God financially, you, and, and hard times come along, you get to say to God, we talked about this. You're in charge, so you need to do something. Amen? Isn't it good to be able to say to God, you need to do something? You know, I did what you told me to do. Now you need to do what you said you'd do. That is a good and fun prayer to pray, although usually you're in crisis when you pray it, so maybe not so much. So, Here's the truth. We live in extraordinary times in history. Christians are wealthier today than they have ever been. That means the potential to make a difference in the world has never been better. So Christians have always been world changers with their resources. Historically, you should look at this sometime. You know who started most hospitals? Churches. Because they wanted to make a difference in the world around them because it wasn't okay that people were suffering. My last church, we had a, a relationship in Brazil where we helped build clinics in, in some of the poorest places in the world. And the doctor did it so that he could minister to them. You know who starts lots and lots and lots of schools around the world? The Church of Jesus Christ. Because it used to be that only the, the wealthiest and only the most important people could get an education and learn to read. And the church said, no, we need to make a difference. We need to change the world. And so they started schools. The hospital part. My parents originally felt called to be medical missionaries, to go someplace. That's why they ended up in medicine. We're the ones that clothe the naked and give a glass of cold water in Christ's name. You know who does most of the giving to the poor in our community? It's the churches. It's the churches. It's us and other churches that network together to take care of all of that. And we're the ones that open prison doors for freedom for those who are caught in addiction and all of those sorts of things and caught in sin. It's the church that, is, that gives to disasters around the world. The Church of the Nazarene has one of the largest giving organizations around the world for natural disasters. Um, Compassionate Ministries uh, USA and Compassionate Ministries International. When there's a big thing you see out there, you give to them. It's a good thing, and it's efficient because we don't pay people to go out and take care of that. It actually comes to the local church, and we spin it out there, so more of your money goes to the people. We've given sacrificially so people around the world that are trapped in darkness and sin can hear the good news. Nothing changes someone's life more than an encounter with Jesus. 
when we are faithful to God with our finances, he blesses and blesses and multiplies for kingdom of God to make the world a better place. So the church of Jesus Christ is, an, is, a, is the biggest financial lever you can use. If you want to maximize your, you know what a, a lever is? A lever is where there's something that you can't move, but you put the stick in there and the rock, and then you can kind of push it in the, and you can move the rock. You, sh- you should ask my son about this. A few years ago, he was with a bunch of buddies, and there was a big rock in the middle of the road. So they decided they were going to pick it up and move it. It was like a giant rock. He got a hernia doing it. You know? I looked at him. I said, a lever, son, a lever. You know, you can make it, you, can, you multiply your strength. And that, that they're financial levers. So that's why this, this series is about leverage, deploying your resources to change the world. And that we want to be a part of this. In fact, I love John Wesley, uh, who, who said this. He said, make all you can, save all you can, give away all you can. Man, that's the kind of church I want to be. Make all you can, save all you can, give away all you can. So let's talk about ways uh, followers of Christ uh, can give. Christ followers, uh, the way we give. There's several levels here real quickly. Um, The first level is emotional giving. This is when someone, you know, they come on the TV and they show people starving and they say, help us stop the the starvation, you know. One of the ones we do this, when we we have the child sponsorship, right? And you you hear the stories of these kids in these awful situations and you guys rise up and you sponsor children. Jody and I sponsor children. That's an important sort of thing and we're going to actually talk about that that next week. Another way we give is what I call periodic giving. It's like, you know, put a few bucks in the offering plate every once in a while and hey, that, that sort of thing. But that's a step in the right direction. But the most important one is what we call planned giving. And this is a type of giving that is just through discipline. It's a percentage of, a, of our giving. We talk about tithe and, and 10%. You start wherever you can in all of this. But this, this is the thing that really makes a difference in, in, in the world because a planned giving is what turns the lights on. It's what makes the, this be able to take care of the property. It's what allows all of the things that go on. And in every, every organization, the planned givers, the one that do it just intentionally, are the backbone of those organizations. And this is where you can really make a difference. So here's what I know about this, though. Planned giving makes emotional giving possible. Planned giving makes emotional giving possible. It's the difference between intervention kind of giving. Uh, we, we like that kind of giving. That's emotional and measurable. When you, you, know, you need to do something. A few years back, we had a mission project with the church, and they couldn't, didn't have a roof on their church. So this church raised in a week $6,000, and we sent it down there to put a roof on their church because they were in need. It was an intervention with the system. Or when we sponsor a child, we, we say that horrible situation and, and we, we intervene. You know, the child shouldn't have ever got in that. And intervention is super important. Uh, but here's the deal. Intervention comes because there's been a disaster, right? That kid living in poverty, that's a disaster. So we do something about that. So if you, if you really want to leverage your dollars, invest in prevention giving so that the kid never gets in that situation. Amen. You understand the difference between intervention and prevention? Intervention is after the disaster. Prevention is giving so that the disaster uh, doesn't, doesn't happen, right? And, and the truth of the matter is nobody likes prevention, right? You go to the doctor and he says, hey, you need to jog more and you need to eat more of those green veggie kinds of things, you know, and you need to, to visit the doctor more often, you know? We don't, we don't like that. That's not fun. It's, you know, we would, we would much rather have the milkshake. That's fun, you know? But, but, 
prevention is, is hard for us, and, and so it is in this world as, as well. In fact, get this, there, there are great benefits to prevention over intervention. In fact, you know women live longer than men, and I saw this thing that they said, they think that's because women actually go to the doctor more often, right? You know, we're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing, <laughs> you know? Prevention is hard, but it's so important. So, emotional giving solves problems, plan giving prevents them. Emotional giving solves problems. Planned giving permits them. I, I can't measure this. It's, it's, not, it's not measurable and it's not emotional. You just have to do it. But here's what I know, having been in the church all of my life. I can't tell you how many children were saved because of the church. I, I can't tell you how many marriages were saved because of the church. They never got to that place where they were in a divorce and we had to do something about it. I can't, can't tell you how many kids stay out of trouble because of the church, because they never get into trouble, so it doesn't show up statistically. I can't tell you how many teenagers aren't going to OD this year because of the influence of the church, because they never OD'd. I, I can't tell you how many young women aren't going to be surprised with a pregnancy because of the church. It's not measurable. I can't tell you how many kids are going to not drive drunk because of the church. How many kids are going to have lives changed and brokenness spared? How many heartbreaks are going to be avoided? Because we can't measure that. It's, it's not fun. It's, it's like walking and exercising and running and eating your vegetables. How do you know whether that's working or not other than you don't die? But it matters. And I encourage you to step up into planned giving. Give a percentage. Dare to put God to the test. In fact, this is the only place where God says, test me, try in this. Jody and I do that. We tithe. We more than tithe. And it adds up to a lot of money. But it, it, I'm telling you, God has been faithful to us over and over and over again. We are not rich. We will never be rich. But God has always supplies. We practice this as a church. Two years ago... Um, we gave out of this, this, well, the last statistical year, $165,000 went out of this church to serve in other places. Two years ago when we had a mission trip, $298,000 more than that went out. Of it. Almost $200,000 went out of this. So here's my challenge to you, and if our uh, musicians would come, give like God gives. Give like God gives to you. How does God give to you? He gives you everything. I hope when you came in, you got the uh, communion things that are safe during COVID. If you haven't, we have some more uh, back there. I would encourage you to, to do that. And one of the, the things that I think is really important is every time we come to the Lord's table, we are be, to be reminded that God gave everything for us. In fact, it is, I've told you over and over again, Christian religion is about remembering. Remembering what God has done for us. We get in trouble when we forget when we forget that God gave everything for us, then it feels like somehow when we give back to God from our money, it feels like a tax, right? How many of you like paying taxes? Anybody enjoy that experience? No. But when someone has saved your life, giving back to them feels pretty good. And the way we give back to God is we give to the children. We embrace the world. We love like Jesus loved. So I encourage you to take this and open the top. You can pull that first little part off there and the bread is there. Let me ask God's blessing as we prepare for his table. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you that when we didn't deserve it, you gave, Lord, to us. 
I pray, Father, now that you would come and you would inhabit these elements that represent your broken body and shed blood, Father. I pray that in this moment you would remind us how much you have given for us and that you would challenge us, Father, to step up and to give like God gives to us, Father, to become a part of that, that regular, disciplined, not very fun and exciting kind of giving that is the backbone of the work of the kingdom of God on earth, Father, to your glory and to your honor. We're reminded that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread, and when you had given thanks, you broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember what I have done for you. Remember whose you are. Remember that your treasures are in heaven. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and eat. After supper, he took the cup. And when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember. Remember, remember, remember. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink. Father, we have come to your sanctuary. We have sung praise to you. We have greeted one another in love. We have heard from your word and we have dined at your table. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on us, that you would change us and transform us and make us like Christ, Father. Make us not only generous givers, but make us happy givers, Father, that we give with full hearts of gratitude to you for all that you have done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.